Would you turn in your Bible, if you have one handy, to the book of Galatians chapter 6 as we pick up where we left off last week. The book of Galatians chapter 6. We're almost finished (laughs) with this book and it has been such a blessing. We started this in 2016, somewhere (laughs) along the way in 2016. And here we are today, almost through this book. We're actually to the last section, the conclusion of the letter and his final words to these churches that are scattered so many years ago throughout the region of Galatia. And so we're going to pick up our text in verses 14 down to verse 18, the end of the book, but we're probably going to focus our attention on verses 16 and 17 or Or maybe just verse 16, we'll see. So, I'll tell you what, let's read it from verse 11. That way we can get the whole whole thing. Chapter 6, verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that you may bo- that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you once again for the privilege of coming together as a local church. We thank you for the privilege of opening this book, and we thank you for the privilege, O God, of thinking deeply about these very words that you've inspired, that you have preserved, and that you have for us this morning. We pray today that your word would be powerful and effective in each and every one of our lives. Lord, that you would take what you inspired, and now you would open our eyes to see it, And you would give us desires and power to obey and to apply in appropriate ways. So that you may be ultimately glorified. And so that we may be edified. And God, we pray that through our lives, oh God, changed as we are by you, we would have an impact on a future generation of people. And we pray this in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we're going to talk just a little bit, mainly out of verse 15 there, about the condition, or uh, verse 16 rather, about this conditional blessing of peace and mercy. This conditional blessing of peace and mercy. I have primarily two statements or two pegs to hold or hang our thoughts on for just a few moments The first one is this, the conditional blessing of peace and mercy. So if you're a note taker, the conditional blessing of peace and mercy. Let's 
Think about that for just a moment in this context. If you look again at verse 16, he says, For all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. Now, this is not something that's totally foreign to the Apostle Paul in his writing. He very often will do this as he closes out his letter. He will often put this prayerful blessing upon the recipients of the letter. And it is very often the case that he ends with this promise and this word of peace in some form. Let me give you just a sampling of those. Romans chapter 15, if you want to turn, you're certainly encouraged to do so. Romans chapter 15 and verse 33. This is not the last chapter, but he is coming to that concluding remarks in that letter, that great letter that he writes there to the Christians in Rome. Romans fifteen thirty three, and he says, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Very similar. The God of peace be with you all. He says here in Galatians that for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. Or you could turn to the next book if you're in Romans to 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the end of that letter, 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 11. He says again, concluding, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So there again, you have peace and love coupled together, talking to the church at Corinth. Or you could flip on over past Galatians that we've looked at and go to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. The book of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 23 and 24. Ephesians six twenty-three. Peace be to you, brothers. Peace be to the brothers. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And if you notice there, there's already a pattern between Galatians here and the book of Ephesians, this conditional aspect. This is not peace for every single solitary person, but for certain persons who fit the condition. In Ephesians, it is grace be with all who, what? Love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So, the condition of that love, incorruptible love, must be met. Otherwise, you would be excluded from that particular blessing that he is giving out. How about the book of Philippians chapter 4? The book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9. He says, again, the Apostle Paul, Philippians 4 verse 9 What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. There's the condition. Practice these things and here comes the blessing. The God of peace will be with you. Practice the things that he had taught and revealed to them in his letter. And the God of peace will be with you. And there again, that final concluding blessing of peace from God. How about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the God of peace. The God of peace. Over and over. Peace to you, brothers. How about 2 Thessalonians chapter 3? Turn over to the next book. Chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with you all. And then Galatians, as we go back and think about it, it's not so different in many ways from all of his other writings. Except there is a distinction in the book of Galatians because this is the only place that he couples together the words peace and mercy. Peace and mercy. If you notice again, there in Galatians 6 and verse 16, he says, All who walk with this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. None of his other letters conclude with that blessing that mentions the word mercy. And so as you've already picked out, there is a condition here. What is that condition? You're thinking, I know. What is that condition? The condition of this blessing is Captured by the phrase, all who walk by this rule. Now, the question then becomes, what is that rule? What is the rule? What is the condition of walking in this rule, according to this rule, that will then give us the blessing of this peace and mercy? One commentator puts it like this. The entire letter, the book of Galatians, stands between the conditional curse of chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, and the conditional blessing of Galatians 6.16 that we have just read. Let's look at it in chapter 1. All of the book of Galatians, the entire letter, stands between the conditional curse, chapter 1, verse 9, That says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be what? A curse. That's the word anathema. Meaning, let that person be eternally devoted to destruction. And everything that he has to say in this letter is to help us to understand the true gospel. The people had been invaded. These churches scattered about. We know at least four, according to the book of Acts, that the apostle Paul was instrumental in founding in the region of Galatia. And these churches had originally received the true gospel. The gospel of the grace of God. The gospel concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And his death on the cross. And his resurrection from the grave. And that if you will repent and believe upon him. You can have eternal life. You can be free from bondage to sin. And its condemnation. And you can be a liberated child of the living God. They had originally heard that message. But then according to this same book in chapter 2. He says in verse 4 that there were false brothers. Because of false brothers that were secretly brought in. Who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. So that they might bring us into slavery. So these false brothers came in and preached the false gospel. And Paul says if you believe and preach a false gospel. You're a part of that curse. 
But in between that, in chapters 3 and 4, he goes to great lengths to help us to understand that a person is not saved, not justified in the sight of God on the basis of our personal performance, but on the basis of Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. And he tells us, he tells in in chapter 2, he says... In verse 15, and this is going to be significant here in just a moment. Chapter 2, verse 15, he says, we ourselves are are who? Jews. We ourselves, he's talking to the apostle Peter, and he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know, we know, the Jews know, or the, 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 the church, the believing Jews, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. And the implication is, though they were Jews, they believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified in God's sight. They did not rely upon the works of the law and their law keeping to make them righteous in the sight of God and thereby be justified in his sight. He says, no, even though we are a part of ethnic Israel, we believed in Christ Jesus by faith in order that we would be justified by faith and not by the works of the law. He says in the bottom half of verse 16 there, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And so he goes on over and throughout chapter 3, he gives us this great defense of justification by faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. He tells us, That if we endeavor to be circumcised, chapter 5, for example, look there in verse 2 again. Chapter 5, verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You cannot have both. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision. He's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. So in chapters 3 and 4, he defends that. In chapter 5 and 6, he fleshes out what liberated living by the power of the Spirit looks like. And we, you have to remember that when we come to this concluding section. Here beginning in chapter 6 with verse 11 and following. How that he has not divorced himself from what he has just previously been talking about throughout the entirety of the book. No, we see in these concluding words a summary of everything that we've already been looking at. Namely, there, there's two ways that people are seeking to be justified in the sight of God. One is that way that leads to destruction and one is that way that leads to life. It is either by your works Or by the grace of God in Christ that you receive by faith. But it cannot be both. And so he says, if you noticed and picked up on it, verse 12 of chapter 6. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And the only reason that they want to force you and put this pressure on you to be circumcised. Is so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Because, he says in verse 13, they are hypocritical. They don't even keep the law themselves. But they desire for you to be circumcised. That they can boast or glory in your flesh. The fact that you're on their team and you've bought into their lie. He says, but not me. Not me. Far be it from me. 
verse 14, that I would boast except in one thing, namely the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's through the cross, number one, that the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We talked about that. And he says in verse 15, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. It's not about being circumcised, keeping the law. It's not about that you're not circumcised and you keep some other kind of religious system or some other kind of rules, do's and don'ts. He said, but it's about what? Verse 15, but a new creation. He boasts in the cross because it's through the cross, as we learned last week, that we are made new creations in Christ. And this is the sort of the final reason here that in verse 16, that he boasts in the cross because... Because, he says, it's for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. It is those who are eternally secure and saved and forgiven that are those new creations that was purchased on the cross of Calvary. And so all of this, as that commentator quote that I gave you, the entire letter stands between the conditional curse of 1, 8, and 9 and the conditional blessing of 6, 16. So will you believe a false gospel of works-based justification or will you by faith trust not in yourself and what you could do, not in who you are, not in your ethnic lineage, but in Christ alone? Will you trust in the finished work of the cross? And he leaves them here in this final section with an exhortation. It is a crossroads of decision for these Galatians. It is a crossroads of decision for the Judaizers. Will they now, in light of the true gospel so clearly explained, will they now walk by this rule and have that peace? Or will they reject that rule and be under that curse? And so, verse 16 becomes an exhortation. Paul saying, You must join the unbounded group who will experience God's peace and mercy. This group is composed of all of those who do what? Follow the rule. And what is the rule? Well, let me give you a kind of a catchphrase that I think summarizes it and I'll explain it. The rule is the rule of the gospel. The rule of the gospel of Christ. Or you could say more immediate to the context that it is the rule of the new creation. The rule of the new creation. You see the word there, rule, is a Greek word that refers to the word rod. Or you could think of it as a rod that could be used as a standard of measurement. A standard. A rule, like a yardstick. It is a rod that is a measure. A measuring rod. A measuring stick. And so it is those who are walking according to this standard, according to this principle of new creation life by the power of the Spirit. It's, it's the, it's the law or the rule or the measurement or the standard of those who live according to the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody who lives, everybody who measures up, everybody who fits in that category and meets that condition, is the recipient of the peace, eternal peace with God and the mercy of God. Now, 
Later on in Christian history, this particular word here became understood. If you knew it there, it, it sounds just like the word canon. Canon. And in, in early Christian history, it became understood as the rule of faith. So you could write that down. It's the rule of the gospel. It's the rule of faith. It's the rule of the new creation of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the rule of faith, the standard by which orthodoxy could be determined. And it's from this sense that came our use of the word canon to describe the canon of Scripture. In other words, those documents that met the criteria of being orthodox Christian inspired by God writings. So we call it the canon of Scripture. That's the way the progress of that particular Greek word was used in the history of the church. It became known as the rule of faith, the standard of the gospel. Paul once puts it in just a verse earlier when he says in verse 15, but a new creation. So, so watch how that flows together. Watch this. For neither circumcision counts for anything. What does circumcision represent? You should know this by now. It represents the law, law keeping. If you can, I'm going to be circumcised, put myself under the law, and by my law keeping, I'm going to climb the ladder of personal performance, and God will accept me. I'll be justified in the sight of God. And when I get to heaven, I can say, aren't you glad, God, that I was so good? And I did all of these things that I was supposed to do in order to achieve, listen, self-righteousness through my performance That's what is represented by that word circumcision of the law. But it's not even uncircumcision. So you can't say, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not a legalistic Jew. So that that may give me a little bit of credibility. No, he says, not uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now listen, and as for all who walk by this, what? What is the rule? It's the new creation. It is, are you in fact a new creation, work of God, or are you seeking through law-keeping, no matter whether it's Jewish legalism or it's any other kind of law-keeping world religion, are you seeking to attain self-righteousness, justification in the sight of God that way? Or are you walking according to the standard of the new creation work of the Spirit of God? And if you are, then you have this peace and mercy upon you. Those who trust, in other words, in Christ alone to make them righteous on the basis of their faith and his work on the cross, not on the basis of their law keeping and justified in the sight of God are a part of the new covenant people of God. New creation, new covenant in the death of Christ and the new creation people of this new covenant are defined by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. They are defined by lives of faith. They are defined by actions of love that grow out of that faith and trust in God. That's a summary, beloved, of what we have been learning in this Book. Notice that Paul uses here the same verb. This helps us to understand that we're on track in our interpretation. He uses the same verb for the, you know, uh, translated follow or stay in step with. That same Greek word he uses in chapter 5 verse 25. So if you go back and look at that and you'll remember that sermon, those of you who were here, you can go on the website and hear it. If we live by the Spirit, 525, if we live by the Spirit, let us also what? Keep in step with the Spirit. That's the same Greek word when he says over here in chapter 6 and verse 16, all who walk by this standard, keep in step, walk in step with the Spirit. And here he's saying, 
walk in step with this standard of new creation purchased at the cross is the immediate context. Verse 14 that we are talking about. Remember that uh, we talked earlier about the indicative imperative principle in scripture. Indicative what God has done imperative what he commands us to do. The reality listen of the new creation carries with it. The reality of the new creation carries with it a different standard of living than we had been under in the old system. Whether it's legalistic Judaism or any other kind of works based world Religion, And so the reality of this new creation life carries with it its own standard, its own rule of living. The old age that we have been talking about, the old self, has been crucified with Christ. The present evil age, chapter 1, verse 4. Remember that last week. Chapter 1, verse 4, I remind you again, listen. Who Jesus Christ, at the end of verse 3, who gave himself for our sins. Why? Why did he give himself for our sins? He tells us to deliver us from what? The present evil age. And if you go over to chapter 6 again, as we've looked at in verse 14, he says, I'm going to boast in the cross. Why? Because it's through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world or this fallen evil age The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The old age, the present evil age, the world characterized by bondage to the flesh, characterized by self-effort to achieve self-righteousness and thereby earn salvation has died. And we are new creations now. New creations with new passions, new affections, new desires that are godly and that are Godward in nature. And so that old present evil age, he says, I've been in 614, I've been delivered, I've been liberated, I've been set free from it. That which was characterized by the bondage to the flesh, that was was characterized by circumcision or legalistic Judaism, works-based religion for everyone else, characterized by the law, I've been set free from that. And then in, cha- in, in chapter 6, verse 16, he says, and guess what? Everybody else who walks by this same standard... Peace and mercy will be upon you. And so the new creation, beloved, is characterized by the leadership and power of God, the Holy Spirit. It's not the energy of the flesh. You see the difference? The energy of the flesh says, I need to do this, so I'm going to do this behavior modification so that I don't do this, and I need... I don't need to do this, so I don't do that. And I need to do this, so I'm going to do this. And I'm going to work up the energy of the flesh, self, to do it. And that behavior modification is going to earn me favor with God. But the opposite of that, that we have repeatedly learned from this book and throughout the entirety of the Bible, the opposite of that is to be made a new creation, to be indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit, and have his power to live in victory over sin, the world, And the devil. And so it's characterized. This new creation is characterized by the leadership and power of God, the Holy Spirit. By faith in Christ alone. By the self-sacrificing love that faith produces. 
So walking or living in light of these truths, Paul promises will produce God's peace and mercy abounding upon them. That's number one. (laughs) Number two. This is the second thing I want us to think about. And uh, you'll want to think about it, I think. If not now, later on when you get to reading this at home. Listen as I read it again. And as for all those who walk by this rule, this standard, new creation, spirit-empowered, faith toward God, that trust in Christ alone for justification, all who walk by that, peace and mercy upon them and upon what? The Israel of God. Now, what does that mean? (laughs) The Israel of God. This particular phrase brings us into a conversation And really, sort of, I don't want to use the word controversy, but it is really a highly debated theological issue in Scripture. Namely this, and we've talked about this before. Does the church replace Israel and the promises that God made to Abraham that then passed on to Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel and the 12 tribes? Does the church replace them? Or is there still a future for ethnic national Israel? Okay, this is a this is a this is one of those texts. And what am I talking about? Eschatology, end time doctrine. So if you're in in the all millennial camp, you're going to say, Ah, here we go. This is proof text that Israel has now been replaced. Ethnic Israel is replaced by the church. And now he says, listen to this, all who walk with this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He's writing to the Gentile churches. There it is. However, it's not so cut and dry. First of all, we need to understand it in its immediate context, right? And then we can understand it in the context of the whole of New Testament teachings or the whole of the Bible itself. But let me just... So the second thing that I want you to write down is just just think about the Israel of God, that phrase, the Israel of God. What is he talking about? And let me give you just a few thoughts here. Let me just give you this caution, this, this word of caution. Paul has not switched gears necessarily to say, I'm done talking about justification. I'm done talking about justification by faith alone over against law-keeping justification that the, these Judaizers were promoting. He, he hasn't laid that down and said, I want to talk for just this one phrase about eschatology. That's not what he's doing. <laughs> we have to see it in light of the entire context that it is contained in. But with that said, let me give you two possibilities that are the most widely held positions on this phrase. Okay. Number one, the two phrases... Okay, let me, let me define the two phrases. The two phrases are all who walk by this rule and the Israel of God. Those two phrases, okay, those two phrases could refer to two related or identical objects of the blessing of peace and mercy and the and that's inserted in there and the, and the Israel of God before the last phrase could be saying that the Israel of God is the same group as the ones who walk by the rule. Does that make sense? <laughs> so let's read it again. And all those who walk by this rule, there's phrase number one, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God, meaning and 
this group is identical with the group before. Those who walk with the rule and the Israel of God are interpreted as the same group. Okay? Grammatically, some argue for that. Or, the Israel of God might be a separate overlapping group from all who follow this rule. And it would read like this. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. This separate yet overlapping group that he wants to include here in this group of people that receive the peace and mercy of God. The first one would read like this. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule slash to the Israel of God. Is that the way to look at it? And then there's a third option. There's a third option. The first phrase could be dependent on peace. And the second phrase dependent on mercy. (laughs) And smoke's coming out of some of your ears by now. For all who walk by this rule, peace. Stop. And mercy be upon the Israel of God. Stop. Is that the way to read it? So that's the three most widely held interpretations. Now, the Israel of God, beloved, here in this context, let me say something in general before I get, because I know you're dying for me to say what I think it is, okay? Either way, it does not change the fact that the thrust of this verse is saying that everyone who walks by the rule of faith in Christ alone for justification, empowered spirit empowered life as a Christian by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, which is a new creation purchased at the cross, which is our boast by which the world has been crucified to us and us to the world. That rule, that standard of living and walking in that is how you get the peace and the mercy, no matter how we do this interpretation. So you can breathe just a little easier. And then I'll tell you what I think it means. I think it is one B. If you remember what that was, I'll tell you again, if you forgot. That the two phrases refer to two groups, but there is an overlap between the two. Okay, Because both groups are receiving the peace and the mercy because they're both new creations through the work of the cross and the power of the Spirit by faith in what Jesus has done. Okay, But the Israel of God is a distinct phrase that refers to the Jewish believers... In Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah. So the peace and the mercy be upon all who walk with the rule, the new creation, the gospel rule, the standard of the gospel. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And here is my little reasoning, I think, behind that position. Number one, if you go back into the apostles' other writings, he does in fact make that distinction that there is still, listen, a future for ethnic national Israel. Now, not those who are remaining in unbelief, but there is coming a day when the times, Romans chapter 9 of the Gentiles is completed, there will be this time that you read about in the book of Revelation of the millennial reign of Christ when all of the promises that included this vast land that they would inhabit and that this this peaceful time and this glorious time for the people of of God the covenant people of God Israel those those promises are going to be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom 
That's what I'm saying. If you read in other passages of Scripture. So the Israel of God here refers to Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. To those who are spiritual as well as physical descendants of Abraham. Look, if you will, in chapter 3, verse 7. Bear with me for just a moment and I'll, 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 I'll stop. Chapter 3, verse 7. Listen, look at what he says. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of who? Abraham. This is Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In other words, it's not just are you a physical descendant of Abraham? Are you an ethnic Jew? But it is, are you believing in Christ? Do you trust in Christ alone? If you, if you do, he says, those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. So he makes that distinction. Look, if you will, and our heirs according to the promise. Look in that same chapter in verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 18. He says, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. True Israel is not just ethnic Jews. But those who have become new creations through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, thereby liberated from fallen human logic in the world system, freed from the driving force of the flesh, and freed from the delusion of attaining self-righteousness through their adherence to the law. Those are the Jews who are also having peace and mercy upon them. The same criteria, the same condition must be met. Not that I'm an ethnic Jew, but that I believe and trust in the finished work of the cross. But why does he make this distinction? Why does he give this and the Israel of God? Because, my friends, what has he been? Who are the troublemakers? Chapter 1, verse 6. But there are some turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you. Chapter 1, verse 7. Who were the troublemakers for the churches at Galatia? What ethnic group did they come from? Jews. They were Jews. They came from Jerusalem. They said, hey, listen, we're from Jerusalem and we're Jews and we're the covenant people of God. And, and the apostle Paul has sold you this false bill of sale. You, you guys can believe in Jesus of Nazareth, but you must obey the law that God gave to the people of Israel through Moses or you're not going to be justified in the sight of God. They were troubling the people with this. And they were saying that it was because of their ethnicity that they were a shoe in for the blessing of the promises of God. And throughout the book, as we saw in chapter three, Paul goes to links to say, no, it's not just those who are of ethnic descent, but those who are of faith. So you can be of ethnic Israel in unbelief and you're not, he says, a part of the Israel of God. Does that make sense? So at the end of the book, he's not doing anything different than he has already been doing throughout this letter. He has been saying repeatedly that one is not a shoe-in for salvation and justification in the sight of God because they are ethnic Jews, but because they are new creations in Christ Jesus by faith. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 2 for just a second. Romans 2 and verses 28 and 29. Romans chapter 2 and verse 28. Listen to this. Same author, the Apostle Paul, inspired by God. Listen to what he says. Romans 2.28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one. How? 
outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one how? Inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the what? By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Chapter 9, Romans chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Romans 9, 6. But it is not as though the Word of God has failed. Because so many Jewish people did not believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. And so people were saying the word of God has failed. Look at all these Jews that don't believe. And Paul says it's not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But it says, quote, from the Old Testament and the promise that God gave through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And so in conclusion, let me say, Paul clearly recognizes and understands that there is an ethnic national Israel. However, they are not saved on the basis of their ethnicity. They are saved the same way that Gentiles, non-Jewish people groups in the world are saved, namely through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so just like the language of circumcision and uncircumcision, the Israel that counts, go back to Galatians 6 when he says, that it is not circumcision that counts for anything in verse 15, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Well, think of it like this, beloved. Just like that same kind of language, the Israel that counts before God, the Israel that will receive the blessings of peace and mercy is the one made up of those who become new creations through the work of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who trust in Christ alone for righteousness and justification in the sight of God. And so my takeaway is this, for all of us in this room and for all people everywhere, this conditional blessing still stands and will always stand. That all believers are called in these verses to live according to new creation principles. Spirit-empowered life of faith that gives rise to actions of self-sacrificing love. Love for God and love for other people. They're to live their life, listen beloved, in three ways. In light of their freedom from the present evil age, the world. They are to live in light as those who have been made new creations in Christ. And they are and we are to live as those who look to the cross of Christ. To establish for us a righteousness which we could not establish in and of ourselves. And whereby you and I can expect to live with the peace that comes only from a right relationship with God. And the mercy of this God upon our lives. The writer of Psalm 23, you remember what he says at the end? Surely goodness and what? Mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's the same thing Paul's saying here. He's saying peace. If, if you, if you're walking according to this standard, if you're living by faith in Christ alone, you're a new creation. You're set free from the bondage to the world system with its fallen human logic being driven by the passions of the flesh. And you're set free from the delusion of self-righteousness attained through your performance. And you're set free now to walk as liberated children of the living God. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, living out a life dependent upon God. And that life gives rise 
to self-sacrificial love. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you for this privilege to open your word today. And I pray that somehow in my fumbling and bumbling through it, Lord, that you would do a work in, in our hearts. God, as we come to the final verses of this book, we pray that no one, no one will leave this place trusting in their works. That no one will leave this place burdened anymore by the reality of their imperfections and sins. But that in this moment, by faith, seeing maybe as it were for the first time that salvation is by faith alone, not in myself, but in Christ alone. And it might be that for the first time, maybe in this room and during this prayer, God, you would call people from the bondage of legalism and the delusion of self-righteousness to freedom and forgiveness and justification and acceptance and salvation and peace that is in Christ alone. And God, we pray that you would call them all the way to that point, that crossroads of decision, that they in this place would cry out to you for mercy, trusting in Christ, repenting and turning away from sin as they trust in the finished work of the cross. We pray for that in faith, in Jesus' name, and amen. Amen.